The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Nash. In 1991, the U.S. introduced the Andean Trade Preference Act. The intent behind the act was to promote legal industries as alternatives to the drug trade in Bolivia, Colombia, Ecuador, and Peru. Americans buy Ecuadorian flowers, and in return, America sells them seeds, chemical fertilizers, and farm equipment that can damage the rainforest with pollution and deforestation, and sometimes force the farmers to take out large loans that can indebt them to the banks. The flower industry can be problematic. Today, we are talking to someone who has a solution to all of that, Melanie Harrington, and she is so cool, and she's super young, and she is a flower farmer in the local area in Trenton, Ontario. Melanie, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so happy to talk with you today. So tell me all about your farm. We are Dahlia May Flower Farm. We're located just outside of Trenton in southern Ontario, and we are growing an acre of flowers every year sustainably. That's so great. And what is it that you love about flowers? I have loved flowers ever since I was a kid. I grew up farming. My parents had the farm where I'm actually now growing. So we grew up growing vegetables. We grew up growing flowers and selling them at local farmers markets. And I just found a really deep connection with putting my hands in the dirt, even as a child and planting seeds and watching them grow and how magical all of it was. And I've been hooked ever since. That's so great. It is a really cool process to watch, especially when you're a little kid and you can watch everything uh, grow. And then when you're older, you can kind of tweak things and make them grow sort of how you want them. So it's a really fun process for sure. It, It still feels like magic. It felt like magic as a child to watch things sprout and watch things grow. And I haven't lost that magic. I still find it incredible every time. That's so cool. And you can you can have flower pots on your tiny balcony in your apartment or inside your apartment or on your big acreage or uh, wherever you live. There's always ways to grow plants, which Absolutely. is really nice. When did you know you wanted to become a farmer? Did you know right from the beginning? I didn't know right from the beginning. I took a little bit of a detour. I grew up on the farm that I'm now working on. We were growing flowers and growing vegetables. I did a co-op position at a local greenhouse in high school, absolutely loved it, still didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was always artistic and loved flowers, so I ended up going to Loyalist College for floral design, and then I worked for eight years as a floral designer in the traditional flower industry. My life took a little bit of a turn about six years ago. My father passed away. And I was just looking to switch everything up, really, and just get back to the core of what it was that I loved about flowers. I left my full-time position at a flower shop, moved back to the farm that I grew up on, and thought I would just start really basic and start with what I knew how to do, which was grow flowers, and see where that would take me. And six years later, it's taken us into an incredible little business here in the Quinney area. That's so amazing. And you have more than dahlias. 
We do. We grow about 80 different varieties of cut flowers every year on just over an acre. We live on an 80-acre farm that we have diversified between traditional crops, flowers, woodlot, ponds and meadows and pollinating areas. So we grow quite a few different varieties of flowers. We love dahlias. We grow them in our greenhouse, but we grow crops right from March and April through till the frost in October. That sounds beautiful. Do you have bees on your property as well? Our neighbors have bees. Apparently bees travel within five kilometers of their hives. So one of our next door neighbors has hives just on his property and the bees come over and pollinate at our farm all the time. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Oh, that's amazing. I know that you use sustainable packaging, which really caught my attention. Mm -hmm. So I love flowers. I don't really know a whole lot about them, but I always find when you go to the store, they're wrapped in cellophane and they have these little plastic kind of trinkets stuck in them and there's just so much kind of garbage wrapped around them. Um, So what do you use for your packaging? When I was working at traditional shops, I was always amazed by the number of rolls of cellophane that we would go through in a month and all of the curly ribbons and the plastic water picks and everything like that. And we do pretty much the opposite at our farm. So we wrap all of our flowers only in craft paper. We don't use any cellophane. We don't use any ribbons. We use natural twine instead. We don't use plastic water picks to hydrate our flowers. We send our customers home with reusable buckets when they need their flowers in water. And we also just use a simple paper towel method um, for keeping water on the bottom of our flowers when we need to hydrate them as well. So we really are a fan of just using all natural packaging. I want everything to be something that you could put in the recycling, you could put it in the wood stove, uh, anything like that. So in the we compost too, right? Compost, the absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So we stay away from all of the plastics. That's so excellent. I love to hear that. And why did you choose to do that? I was just finding that working in the traditional flower industry, it was just so easy to notice the wastefulness of it in a sense. There were just so many excesses. There was always excess packaging. We were always bringing in excess flowers grown in South American countries. And I just found that it wasn't a sustainable way to live. We grew up on a farm. We grew up composting. We grew up being mindful of what we purchased. And I just really wanted to go back to all of that when I started my own business and just be mindful about my footprint on the environment. That's awesome. You know, when we did the Sandbanks Provincial Park beach cleanup a few weeks ago, one of the main things that we found actually was balloon ribbons. So Really? Yeah, it was really surprising. We were all kind of shocked. It was bottle caps mostly, and then I would say the second... uh, largest item would be those balloons that you buy at the flower shop you know that say I love you and I put on Instagram nothing says I love you like beach (laughs) trash yes (laughs) and those ribbons were hard to get out of the sand and they were all wrapped around like sticks they were quite problematic and I imagine they'd be problematic Mm -hmm. like for fish and wildlife and all sorts of things so it's really good that you don't use that but can still find a way to make money Absolutely. Without it. We present our flowers very European style. So, and that meaning just simpler, just less packaging, classic craft paper. Everything's presented really beautifully. So, we're still able to offer a really high end look to our customers, but everything is also completely recyclable, which we love. 
Mm-hmm. And then when the flowers are unfortunately done for their time, then they can just go into then the... And it's compost. Exactly. Yeah. Which is great because you have the most beautiful decoration you can get mm-hmm. for your home or for your office. And there's it's, it's literally zero waste. Um, yes. The way you do it, which is just so great. Yeah. Where do most of the flowers come from that we see in grocery stores and flower shops? So in the beginning, I was mentioning um, about the the Indian sort of trade deal. Is that where they mostly come from going to Canada as well? Yes. So I don't have Canadian statistics with me, but 78% of the cut flowers that are sold in the U.S. are actually imported from Colombia and from Ecuador. So we are importing the majority of our flowers. The rest of that 78% typically comes from places like California in the U.S. So most of the flowers that you would find in supermarkets and in traditional flower shops are all imported blooms. And if we can get them local, then it cuts down on those transportation costs and probably packaging costs. If you're sending your flowers local, you can wrap them in paper. But I suppose if you're sending them all the way from California to Canada, you would maybe want to put some more wrapping or a box or something Absolutely. I think what we don't realize about a lot of the flowers that we find in flower shops is many of them are a week old at least before they make it to the flower shop. So a lot of these flowers, the 78% that are imported, are all starting on the farms in Colombia and Ecuador. They're being loaded onto planes. They're being shipped by plane over to the U.S. They're being dropped off at central distribution centers. Then they're being loaded onto trucks. They're being trucked from the distribution centers to the wholesalers. Once they arrive at the wholesalers, then they need to be trucked again to the flower shops. So it's a pretty long journey, and there's a pretty high carbon footprint attached to all of that. So the difference in dealing with local flowers is that so many of the flowers that our customers buy from our farms are harvested right off of our farm the day before they're sold. Many of the flowers that we're bringing in in the flower shop that we run at our farm, all of them are Ontario grown. So the farthest that these flowers are traveling is three hours away in Niagara. So everything, the difference in freshness and in quality is just really exceptional because everything is making such a shorter journey. Which is great for the environment. It reduces yes. the carbon footprint, which is so important right now because there yeah. are big, big problems that we have. And you're, you're solving that problem by growing local, which is great. You mentioned the Niagara region. Are they ahead of us on their growing schedule? So in the Niagara region, there are a lot of larger greenhouse growers that are operating. They are operating all year round. They have heated greenhouses in that region. They're a couple of zones warmer than we are at my farm as well, which makes a difference just in growing flowers. And they're able to heat those greenhouses year round. So when we offer flowers at our farm in the shoulder season, between the times where our flowers are blooming, we offer these Niagara-grown blooms, which is great. They're just grown three hours from us, and then we're picking them up directly from the growers the day before we're offering them to the customers. So that means that you can almost get flowers year-round from your farm? Yes, we offer flowers all year round. We offer our flowers beginning in February every year. We do take January off, although there are locally grown flowers available in Niagara in January. Our flower shop opens up just before Valentine's Day every year, and we offer our customers 100% locally grown, Ontario grown alternatives to flowers for Valentine's Day. So it's a great way to offer an alternative to the imported rose that's made that one week heavy carbon footprint trip to a flower shop 
We're offering customers really great local choices. And then we are open all year round, right through till December. So what would be a more sustainable option than roses? Like what type of flower um, for cold climates like ours or up in Europe? So we work really seasonally based with our flowers and with the flowers that we're bringing into our shop as well. So in February, while you're seeing all of the roses and the carnations and the mums at traditional flower shops, that's not what's growing locally. What's available locally in February are tulips. Tulips are actually a huge crop in the Niagara area. They're available November through March to April. So when we offer our Valentine's Day offerings, we're offering really exceptional local tulips and local ranunculus. And ranunculus is a flower that's becoming more and more popular, extremely long-lasting, looks very similar to a garden rose. So those are the two options that we offer for Valentine's Day. So our customers are able to have something that's an alternative to a rose, but exceptionally beautiful and something that lasts quite a bit longer. It lasts longer than a rose? The local flowers do. The local flowers often last longer because the roses have already been sitting in transportation and in flower shops for over a week. All of the local flowers that we're offering are coming directly from farms. Right, that makes sense. So they're lasting longer in the customer's home. And the traditional flower shops, they offer that package that comes and it has like a powder and you put it in the vase and it's supposed to last longer. What is that? That is flower food. It's often a combination of really just bleaches and sugars. So it's something to keep the water clean and then the sugars feed the flowers. It's not something that we use a lot of at the farm. We're finding that our flowers are lasting exceptionally well because they are so fresh. So we encourage our customers, instead of using packages like that, to just change the water in their flowers every other day to give the stems a fresh cut, and the flowers are lasting no problem. So we talked about the environmental impact of bringing flowers from so far away because there are a lot of transportation costs involved. Do they need to be like cooled, climate controlled? Yes, the flowers do need to be climate controlled. So when they are making those long journeys... They need to be in climate-controlled trucks as they make it to the airport, then they're on the planes, and then they need to be really put into a large cold chain system just to make it to the flower shops. So you're using Freon probably at that point, or or traditional flower transportation methods would be? Yes. Do you drop them off yourself, or do people have to come to the farm to get them? We offer our flowers at our farm every weekend. We open up our farm Fridays through Sundays, and we offer a flower market at our farm. So we keep our flowers really in a European-style open-air market just in our farm stand, so not refrigerated, just out for customers to be able to grab and go. We don't actually use a lot of refrigeration at our farm because we're finding that our flowers are coming in so fresh and then going directly out to the customer. We're not having to hold the flowers for long periods of time. So oftentimes, if we are needing to cool our flowers, we keep them in the basement of our farmhouse, which is nice and cool as well. Oh, that's awesome. I just put a cold storage in my house, so I'm just putting like everything down there, and it's so good. I almost think I don't need a fridge, but I have one. (laughs) But it's it's amazing what you can do if um, if you just make little adjustments and keep everything local. And are you using... What are you using to maintain soil health and like keep the bugs off? Is that ever a problem? We use 
all natural methods. So we are not certified organic at our farm, but we practice organic methods. So when it comes to amending our soil, we're using a lot of mushroom compost, a lot of manure to amend the soil. We're using a lot of fish compost these days, actually. We have a friend who owns a fish farm, and he will send us the black gold from the bottom of his fish ponds that we're able to amend the soil with. And that goes a long way. We're finding that really focusing on creating healthy soil creates healthy blooms. So the healthier that our soil is, the less we need to worry about plant disease and about bugs. What we're also doing to prevent bugs is we're just really using trap crops. So we're planting certain rows of flowers that tend to attract bugs. And typically the bugs stay there and they're not rows that we'll harvest. And it keeps the bugs away from the more prized crops that we're trying to grow for commercial production. That's so perfect. really just using those integrated methods to keep the farm nice and clean and healthy. So what kind of crops attract bugs? We are finding that sweet peas are a trap crop for us. Customers love sweet peas and love it when we grow them. They smell really beautiful. They also seem to attract aphids all the time. So we've sort of given up growing sweet peas to sell for customers, but it's a great crop to keep the bugs away. Oh, that's a really neat trick to yeah. learn. I've heard that like hornets and wasps can be good at, at pest removal. Do you see any of those on the farm? We have several hornet nests on the farm. I don't keep a very close eye on it, but they're certainly active on the farm. We have so much wildlife on the farm. I find in the summer, the fields are just buzzing with hornets. We have bees. There are butterflies all over the flowers. So it's been really neat to witness that. Mm-hmm. And when you have that mix and diversity, everything keeps itself in balance, where when you do these yes. massive, giant monocrops, then you get massive, giant amount of bugs. Yes. Because you're feeding that one kind, you know, and that's when you run into problems. Absolutely. We find that keeping the farm diversified as we have been has kept it clean and it hasn't really been a large issue for us. So we don't use any commercial or synthetic fertilizers at the farm. Oh, that's so great. I've been hearing that the monarchs are having a problem getting from Mexico to Canada because they have to fly over America that's now doing this large-scale farming. And instead of leaving those field separation, they almost look like junk plants if you don't know what you're looking for, but that's where milkweed used to grow is in between the fields. And where I live, it's all farmer's fields, but they have... They're all separated by rows of trees and bushes and brambles and stuff like that. And that was giving the monarchs places to stop on the way. But because they're spraying chemicals, they get rid of all of that in between the fields. So there's nothing but fields. And then there's nothing for the monarchs to stop in, which is just so sad. That's fascinating. I'd never actually made the connection between those two things. But I've seen farming as an industry changing where we're having these large super fields and we are taking out all of the borders. Thankfully, it's not something that's happening a lot in our area. And our farmers have been really great about leaving those buffer zones. But so interesting how just something like that would affect the whole migration of a species. Absolutely. And it really boggles my mind. Like, how did farmers, you know, 100, 200 years ago when they started farming in this area, why did they do that? Or how did they know? Or did they know? Mm-hmm. Or was it an accident? Or it's such a good question. <laughs> I know. It's so cool. But this area has a lot of farming and um, it's pretty neat to see. And it's so good to see that you're staying away from 
the chemicals. Uh, so I was reading up on the rose industry, actually, and rose growers use a number of fungicides and insecticides and nematicides and herbicides. And I'm not sure if you've heard of this word, and I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's either iprodione or iprodion. I'm not familiar with that term. Yeah, it's a it's a herbicide, and it's definitely a carcinogen. Um, it's toxic to crustaceans and fish, and it's a, a suspected endocrine disruptor. So that's something that is unfortunate to be using in areas in Central America. Um, there's a lot of jungle down there in you know Ecuador and Colombia, and so getting those chemicals into the system down there is just not good, and we don't know what's happening to the people, if they're being safe about using them or not. I know phosphorus-based chemicals as well were a big problem here in the Bay of Quinte area a while ago, so the runoff from farmers' fields were affecting the Bay of Quinte in the early 1990s, and there was a big effort to curb that runoff um, because it was causing algal blooms, which takes up all the oxygen, it doesn't let sunlight in, and then everything just becomes very unhealthy underneath. It's really important that we have businesses and farmers like you who are going back to normal methods because we've been growing food for 10, 20,000 years. We never had these chemicals before, so there's ways of doing it. Uh, I totally agree. It's it's certainly more difficult in some ways, and yet it's so much easier. It just seems to make sense for us to have those little challenges and work through them, whether that's planting some extra rows of a trap crop or anything like that. It seems like a really small price to pay to get away from the chemicals. I do know that almost 30% of the chemicals that are being used in Colombia and Ecuador in the rose production are actually chemicals that are banned completely in the U.S. So there is some really serious chemical use that's happening. And as you had mentioned, that's making its way into the waterways in those areas as well. Yeah. So it's definitely something we feel really strongly about staying away from. Absolutely. And I don't want to take away, you know, anyone's job in Ecuador or anything, but it would be nice if sustainable farming was also promoted down there. But if there were just local farmers in the U.S. that were growing, then it would reduce the carbon footprint. But I don't want to say anything negative against the jobs there so much. And I remember I I was talking to you a few weeks ago and you were saying that you didn't want to buy a tractor. But I think you did buy a tractor. We did buy a tractor, yes. We're constantly working through how to work smarter and not harder. And it's a very hard decision for us. We've been using hand tools uh, for everything that we've done for the past three years. And it is a lot of exceptionally hard work. So what we're really focusing on doing, we did purchase a tractor this year. And we're just focusing on working smart with our tractor. We're not looking at using a lot of heavy equipment on our farm, but we're looking at being able to grow more crops and sort of diversify our options as well when we have our own equipment. So it's something that we're constantly working through, how to use our equipment in the best way we can and how to use our own time and manage that in the best way that we can as well. Absolutely. I wish that I had a tractor at my place because we just recleared a bit of a field that we have and I don't know how to plow it without a tractor. So we're going to bring the garden tiller down and try, but there were a lot of like little tiny stumps uh, from brush that had grown up. Yes, which get caught in the tillers quite easily. Yeah, so sometimes you need that equipment. And my dad actually Mm -hmm. used to use horses, believe it or not. Amazing. (laughs) To pull the, the plow behind him and it 
looked like such like I don't I couldn't do it. I'm not strong enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I can, I'm not strong enough to hold the lines of a horse while holding the plow because you have to steer it yes. through the ground. It's like you need some muscles. <laughs> I can't even imagine. We spent the first three years of growing without even owning our own rototiller. So we were borrowing rototillers from friends and neighbors, and we were really doing everything by hand. We're still working on having sections of the farm that are actually no-till, where we're just really focusing on soil health, building up healthy soils, and just not tilling in those areas. But then when we're putting in larger crops, like rows of sunflowers and rows of zinnias, then we are finding that we just need a little bit more of an effective way to get the crops in. And there's some controversy lately about even tilling at all. We're trying to really work all of those methods. We have quite a large area on our farm that is just raised beds where there is no tilling and we're building up the soil. Then we do have pieces of our fields that are no-till. And then we do have larger areas of our fields where we're using traditional tilling methods as well. So just trying to incorporate a little bit of all of it and find out what really works best for us. Do you find any difference between tilling and not tilling? Tilling's certainly quicker and easier. It's a quick way to get a lot of plants in the ground. No-till is providing some really excellent flowers though. We're building up really incredible soil and that feels extremely rewarding. It takes a little bit longer in the end, but the results have been amazing. That's really cool. Yeah. Do you guys have a compost heap at the farm? We have multiple compost heaps. We are running out of space for our compost. (laughs) This is part of where the tractor comes in. We have so many compost piles at the farm that we're actually needing the bucket of the tractor to be turning them all properly and moving them around and getting that compost back onto the fields because there are just so many piles. Mm -hmm. Uh, We create a lot of compost every year at the farm. And we have this big winter season that kind of interrupts the process, doesn't it? We do, yes, where the farm sort of puts itself to sleep. And what we do in the winter, we do a large plant in October of all of the spring flowering bulbs. So we plant all of the tulips and the daffodils and alliums. And then as the ground begins to freeze, we actually switch over to offering winter products for our customers, like fresh cut evergreens. We make custom winter baskets and planters by just going out on the farm and harvesting fresh pine and fresh spruce all locally. So again, not getting these products shipped in from all over Canada and shipped in from the States. We're going out and harvesting them for our customers. And that's great and it keeps people away from the plastic. It does. Wreaths and plastic decorations and stuff like that. Yes, we've been using a lot of grapevine wreaths this past year. We have an abundance of grapevine on the farm. So we've been creating a lot of really beautiful grapevine bases just to even get away from using the metal bases for wreaths because a lot of those metal bases once they've been used they do end up in the landfill site not many customers will take the time to cut all of the greenery off and return the metal base so we've been working on just sort of eliminating that and using grapevine wreaths as bases and then putting the fresh evergreens directly on those so when i was little we used to make those too and grapes grapevines are growing everywhere in this area along the fences and they're very abundant aren't they they are we're so fortunate we have so much grapevine on the farm have you ever made jam? I have them? not. No. The jam tastes 
a lot better than the actual grapes because they're really tiny and they're, if I can remember, I haven't had them in years, but I think they're very tart. Yes. If that's the, quite, the yes. right word for them. But yeah, we've got quite a lot of them there too. So it's, it's really interesting that you're using that as a base. It's a great idea. I did see some of your winter photos on Instagram. Um, what is your Instagram? Yeah. Our Instagram is at Dahlia May Flower Farm. Dahlia May Flower Farm. Yes. yes. And you have, I think, over like 54,000 or something followers on there. We do. The internet is seems to be just a magical way to find people and spread the word about what we're doing in Quinny, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's amazing. And if you check out our Instagram, it, they're just the most beautiful photos. They're very colorful and you have such an array of flowers. It's just, it's mesmerizing to scroll through there and, and see oh, what you're thank doing. Thank you. We're starting by doing the best that we can to change how flowers are purchased and offered in the Quinty area. We're hoping that that inspires other Canadian growers. And we're hoping that local flowers really catch on. I mean, we've noticed such a movement in the last even, say, 10 years as far as local food catching on. People buying less from factory farms and people turning more towards farmers markets and buying directly from the grower and the, and having that go directly to the customer. So I'm hoping that we can just really lead the way in showing people that local and seasonal can be exceptional. And we're hoping that that will catch on. I think that there may always be factory farms. It's hard to say. It's such a big shift. I mean, it's the same sort of way as there will always be small businesses and then there will always be large corporations. I think the best thing that we can do is learn to coexist together and learn to work together and inspire some of these larger businesses and larger farms to take a look at their practices and sort of lead by example. So that's what we're attempting to do here in Quinty. I like it. That's awesome. Buying local and dependent on the season is actually yes. really fun. And as a mom, I kind of get bothered by some of the holidays because yes. Christmas, it's so much packaging and toys and then Halloween is so much candy and packaging and then for some reason now kids give out candy for Valentine's Day and Easter and all this stuff and I'm like oh you know <laughs> so what we try to do is make things seasonally so for example we have an apple yes. crisp period in the fall so when the apples are all out and there's just an abundance of apples we'll do a few apple crisps and then we won't make them for the rest of the year and we do a pumpkin cheesecake so after Halloween after we carve the pumpkins, then we turn them into this wonderful pumpkin cheesecake and we'll maybe make one or two of those and then not do them for the rest of the year. So there's these traditions you can get into with food and with flowers and Absolutely. with natural things that don't involve all this packaging and, and waste and stuff. And living seasonally gives you something to look forward to. I think we've become so spoiled in the last, say, 50 years as far as finding everything we could ever want at a grocery store 12 months of the year and a lot of it loses its magic so just as you were saying celebrating pumpkins in the fall just living seasonally like that it really does give us something to look forward to and it makes things special again which we love yeah it's true it's a really good way of of looking at it and and of doing it and I, I know you mentioned something about being a farmer and your clothes Yes. What I have noticed, just as far as being self-employed and farming, is just that there are so many different impacts that I never really realized on the environment. So when I worked in traditional flower shops, 
There was such a pressure to dress a certain way and to keep up with the trends. And I found myself buying new clothes, fast fashion every couple of months, new shoes to be able to fit the look of being a designer who worked in a flower shop and could sell these blooms. And I've noticed that now that we have really switched our entire model and we're growing our own flowers, it doesn't matter if I wear the same jeans four days in a row and then throw them in the laundry. I'm not feeling the need to keep up in a sense. So I'm actually consuming so much less. I'm not worrying about having 10 different pairs of shoes. I only have two pairs now, two different pairs of boots. I'm not worrying about having enough clothes that I'm wearing a different outfit every day. I'm wearing the same outfits day in and day out, and it doesn't matter. And it seems like such a little thing, but it's actually such a large thing that impacts the environment just living that way. So I've actually really enjoyed, in a sense, that removal from the consumerist culture that I was once a part of. Absolutely. I totally get it. I am also consuming less. I found that when I was working out in a shop, there was this pressure to wash your hair every day and do your hair and use hairspray and have a certain look. And now that I'm working from home, I'm washing my hair maybe once every three or four days. And I look just fine. It's all fine. You People judge less. <laughs> yeah, because there's nobody there. Or when people yes. come to the farm, I don't think they would expect you to be looking like you are in a Perfectly shop. polished. Exactly. I, I'd expect you to have like overalls on or something. Because that's <laughs> what I wear at home. Because we have 13 acres too. And yes. I'm always out there doing stuff in the woods and getting dirty. And, yes. Uh, and then I hang them up. So I actually, I learned this in the Navy. So because I have this dog. And when I'd come in the house... I would take off my Navy uniform and hang it up and not even go into the house with it because then I could wear the Navy uniform the next day and it would still be clean, right? And then that sort of transferred over. So now when I come into the, the house from the woods because we have ticks and it's dirty and stuff, that stuff just comes off and stays at the door. So the next time I go out, then I put on that outside clothing and then inside I wear something different. And then if I have to go to town, I wear something different. So I'm doing a lot less laundry and balancing it that way. It's so smart. Even little things like doing less laundry, we're consuming less water. So much. Which is amazing. Mm-hmm. And with climate change, that's going to be a big problem. Although in our area, yes. I kind of wonder if we're going to have the opposite problem of like too much rain because we've been seeing a, a lot of that lately. But who knows what's going to happen? That's right. Nature's certainly not predictable. Mm-hmm. Especially in these times now. Do you have any advice for listeners who want to grow their own flowers, either on like a personal scale, but then also maybe some listeners are interested in their own areas to start a flower farm? For sure. I think the best advice I would give anyone is that it doesn't matter whether you just have an apartment or whether you have a house. Start some seeds inside. We use a really simple method for starting our seeds. We don't actually have a heated greenhouse, so we start all of our seeds indoors. We bought just simple metal racks, We attached some lights just from like a hardware store onto the racks and we just start all of our seeds inside in our downstairs bathroom. So I really think as long as you even have a sunny south facing window, you can plant some seeds and you can get out there in the dirt. Uh, A lot of people that I have that are friends that use, that live more in cities or in towns, they have big pots and planters on their back decks, you're able to plant some flowers in there. So it doesn't matter if you have a large country plot or you just have a small city space, 
I think there are so many ways that you can plant flowers anywhere, even if it's just on the balcony of your apartment. Absolutely. And then you have like joy in a pot basically for yourself, which is so good. And a lot of them smell really nice. So then you don't need to buy air fresheners or any of that other stuff because you have these wonderful smelling flowers. What, uh, What kind of medium do you start your seeds in? We just use a commercial potting soil, just a typical potting mix that you could buy at a garden center or at a hardware store. We use that for starting all of our seeds. We keep them well watered. We use uh, fish emulsion, which you can buy in a bottle and add to water just as a fertilizer when the seedlings are little, which is a great alternative to the traditional synthetic fertilizers just for starting our seeds and keeping them healthy. Does that come from fish farms as well, like the wa- the fish waste? It's fish waste, I right? I believe it does. Yes, it's fish waste. Okay. That, yeah, that's good. Because I'm trying to work towards staying away from ocean products now that I learned how bad of a condition the oceans are in. So I'm sort of pledged not to buy any more seafood. Oh, yes. Which is kind of sad in a way. But uh, so, yeah, I would think that fish waste would be a good thing and probably would come from fish farms because it would probably be the easiest to harvest. We've been really spoiled that we have a great fish farm just actually locally outside of Frankfurt. So we get all of our fish waste and fish emulsion directly from that fish farm, which is amazing and another way that we're keeping it local. So what is the best way for people to start their own seeds who don't want to buy the individual tiny containers? We use, in the past, we've used egg cartons which are a great reusable source. You can also buy little peat pots, which are something where you can plant your seed in the peat pot and then plant the pot directly out into the garden. So there's a lot of different ways like that where you can get around using all of the plastic inserts and plastic trays. That's great because we learned that Quinny Waste Solutions and now Toronto has come out. It's been kind of all over the zero waste news that Mm -hmm. they definitely do not recycle black plastic. Yes, And when I learned that, I was like, no, I want to find the best way, zero waste, to start these seeds. We have been starting a lot of our seeds by soil blocking as well. And soil blocking is, it's a kit that you can buy at Lee Valley. It's basically a metal instrument and you would mix up your potting soil with water and you put the soil in this metal instrument and it makes little blocks out of the soil and you're able to put those little blocks just on baking trays or anything like that. So it's actually using no paper products or no plastic. And you're able to plant your seeds right in these little blocks and then plant those seedlings right out in the garden. So it's something that we've tried for the last two years. And I'm a little bit obsessive about soil blocking. Nice. I actually love doing it. Oh, that's really cool because yeah. I read about it and I thought it was really cool. So I checked them out on Amazon. I think they're only like 50 dollars or something it's not expensive yeah and it seemed like a good idea but i never heard of anyone trying it so now that i know it works we've used it we bought one two years ago um and because it's metal we just wash it and dry it when we're finished with it and store it for next year and it works amazing absolutely it's almost like a big ice cube container or something yes it is almost making little ice cubes out of soil and then you can plant your seeds directly in them you can start there's there's ones for small little cubes and there's larger cubes so it's a really great thing to try and they don't fall apart and make a big mess as long as you get sort of the water ratio right it almost feels like baking in a way like you're sort of making 
a cake mix and you have to get that right consistency and there's lots of trial and error for that. And once you get the right consistency with your soil, they stay together wonderfully. Watering from the bottom is the key. When people are soil blocking, if you tend to water from the top, it's easy to turn the whole thing into a big mush. But we place our soil blocks on baking trays and then we just leave little aisleways between the blocks and then we just water the bottoms. And then the soil blocks take up all the water they want and they don't tend to fall apart. That's awesome. And I suppose if someone started growing their flowers and had extra, I mean, you can really just go to any farmer's market and just sell them, right? And I mean, Absolutely. And people are selling them, I think, like $5 for a little handful or something. Because um, I've bought them before from the Trenton farmer's market and they're yes. beautiful to bring home. So We've also been donating some of our seedlings to the Trenton Food Bank. And they are planting the extra seedlings along with the vegetables that they're growing just for pollinators, which is a really great way to use up some extras too. Oh, that's awesome. Head down to your local farmer's market in the summer and in the spring. Check out what people are growing locally. Talk to the people at the farmer's market. Learn about their farms. If you are looking for certain flowers and you're not seeing them grown locally, ask your local growers if they can grow them. We would love for more people to just really connect directly with the farmers. And the farmer's market is a really great way to start that. And if people who are in the local area want to buy your flowers, they can come out to the farm. And it's in the Trenton Coney West area? Yes, our farm is 1226 Stockdale Road. So it's just about eight kilometers north of Trenton. And we run a weekend flower market at our farm every weekend, February through December. So you can catch our flowers there Friday through Saturday and Sunday. That's so awesome. Well, I hope to come visit the farm this summer. Amazing. We would love that. And check it out. Yeah, that would be so cool. Well, thank you so much, Melanie. That's amazing to hear about your farming. And you have a wonderful story. And your Instagram is beautiful. So I definitely encourage people to check that out because it's just stunning. And uh, thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much, Laura. This week on my Countdown to Zero Waste... I grew pepper and tomato seedlings indoors, sprouted garlic, planted herbs, helped my dad spread horse manure on his organic garden and my organic garden. And that's from our own horses that we've had since I was nine. And we are preparing for Canada's growing season here in Ontario. If you like our show, you can follow me on Instagram at Zero Waste Countdown. That's zero underscore waste underscore countdown. And if you have any questions or ideas for the show, you can email me. Laura at ZeroWasteCountdown.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on whichever app or device you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to leave us a review, it helps me get more busy and important people on the show for your listening enjoyment. And it will help us get closer on our countdown to zero waste. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.